Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode of Chasing Frets is brought to you by Artistworks. Artistworks is dedicated to providing anyone, anywhere in the world, with affordable, interactive access to some of the greatest music teachers in the world. Their patented video exchange learning platform connects you with master musicians like our guest today, Brian Sutton. Here's how it works. You watch one of Brian's lessons, you film yourself playing the lesson, and then you send it to Brian through the video exchange platform, and Brian will film a customized response directly for you. These video exchanges form the basis of an ever-growing, ever-changing online learning experience that is superior to a real classroom and provides the most convenient and effective way to learn online. So if you want to take your playing to the next level, use promo code PGAW20, that's PGAW20, to save 20% on lessons. This offer expires July 20th, 2020. everybody welcome back to the chasing frets podcast i'm here with my co-host andy ellis howdy and uh, if you tuned in uh to the previous episode uh we had uh our guest brian sutton here go way deep on on the art of bluegrass rhythm guitar and it was such a treat to, to listen to him go deep on maybell carter and tony rice and and a host of other players with some uh, and if you listen to the end there, he gives you some extra homework to to listen to and check out. And so we're happy to welcome Brian back. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, for this episode, I wanted to uh, talk about what it's like as a session guitar player in in Nashville. As as somebody who gets called a lot for uh, acoustic guitar as kind of a specialty, um, what, tell us a little bit about when you first moved to Nashville and what kind of were your first steps to get into the the session scene. The, excuse me, the session scene there? Um, for me, I was bringing, thankfully, uh, some experience. I, I, it's hard for me to talk about my career in Nashville as a session guy without, you know, acknowledging too. I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, and the summer between my junior and senior year uh, was pretty formative for me as far as like really trying to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And how I wanted to spend my time professionally. And I was already deep in, into guitar and kind of noticing I'd watch, you know, MTV and, and I'd see, you know, the star on stage, but I'd also, also look around back, you know, uh, behind them and what, who was doing what, and already kind of becoming aware of players like Lee Sklar and Nathan East on the bass. And, um, you know, just I would watch the national network and see Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush and Mark O'Connor you know, on the American music shop. I mean, it just had so much great stuff to kind of just be exposed to around that time for me, as I was really trying to think about what professional life could be. Um, and I was, you know, even though I'm more, more sort of a bluegrass guy out there on the road, I've always been a, a 
musician that enjoyed playing a ton of different styles. Uh, that was something that came into focus pretty early for me of like, you know, I enjoy this whole bluegrass thing, but I really like playing rock and roll. I like playing jazz. I like, you know, studying classical. And I was, you know, uh, anyway, the point is, is that in that summer between the junior and senior year, I went down to my next door neighbor house. His, um, his name is Anthony Berger. And he was a piano player that did uh, a ton of sessions at this studio in Asheville called Here, Here, um, H-E-A-R-H-E-R-E. And uh, it was primarily a studio that was sort of it kind of existed for some gospel groups that were based out of that area. But they did a ton of stuff and just going to him and saying, hey, I'm into this into this kind of work. And I'd like to know more about what being in a studio is, is about. And that pretty much launched this kind of schedule of mine from the time that I was you know, a senior in high school for about the next year and a half or so, where I was really kind of hanging out at that studio about every day. Um, and there's a crew of session players there that they were using primarily. David Johnson was kind of the main guy for me. He, he was the acoustic sort of flavor guy. He plays all kinds of instruments. Um, but there was, you know, to this day, one of the best drummers that I've ever been able to play with, this guy named Tony Creaseman. From day one, it was like, this is the stuff I need to be able to hear and, and, and listen for as far as grooves and things like that when it comes to actually making a record. So anyway, that that experience was huge for me, being around that mm -hmm. studio uh, and just meeting people. You know, that that led to me actually getting work. Uh, I got my first session call official kind of professional. We're going to pay you to show up and do this um, around the sort of holidays of my senior year of high school. So a few months after just being a fly on the wall, um, getting getting some calls. And so I would by the time that I graduated as a senior from high school, I was already doing some work through that connection too. I got sort of hooked up with uh, this other, this singer, a gospel singer named Karen Peck, who had, had a band that she was putting together. And so I was doing a little bit of road work with her and would do that for a couple of years, but always knowing at this time too, the session thing was still, still really driving. So even before I moved to Nashville and still living in Nashville, doing some stuff uh, in North Carolina, doing some stuff there, and then kind of discovering this little network of studios before uh, I moved to Nashville, this network of studios in Knoxville and Greenville, South Carolina, down around Atlanta, up into West Virginia. Um, and I did a lot of driving kind of, this is the early nineties now between like spring of 91 and the sort of summer to fall of 1993 ish. I mean, I was gone all the time. Mm. And again, it was just primarily gospel music, but again, through my experience with David Johnson, that's when I moved from being primarily an acoustic guitarist to a guy that would show up with whatever I could stick in the back of my Ford Explorer, which was everything that I could play. Mandolins, <laughs> guitars, dobros, electric stuff, um, ukuleles, fiddle, you know, whatever. Uh, and I would just layer stuff. I was a utility musician. Anyway, all that being said, um, through this connection, started becoming a little more aware. I think I was doing a little bit. I think I had done one or two gigs in Nashville uh, and kind of just knew some people. I knew this mm -hmm. uh, acoustic guitar player named Bobby All, who he would uh, he played on some um, you know Trisha Yearwood records and and uh, of course a lot of gospel stuff too. But he was a really a really welcoming guy for me. And again, as I was just feeling my life sort of shift out of that Asheville, North Carolina base, you know, driving all over the southeast doing you know utility work just feel like I got to go to Nashville because I was still kind of aware back in the back of my mind of what 
Jerry Douglas was doing and Mark O'Connor. And then as I got more in the country music scene, aware of people like Brent Mason and Brent Rowan, and of course, just chasing all the other instrumentalists too, but where, I mean, I would study records and hear Eddie Bears and Glenn Wharf and Michael Rhodes and just all these guys that I couldn't wait to get around. I just, I got to go to Nashville and work there. So moved here to Nashville in sort of late 93, basically knowing Bobby All and one other guy and started from there. Just, um, you know, I did everything from, you know, trying to, same thing I did in Nashville, just go hang out at studios and just kind of be a fly on the wall. And I did that a lot with Bobby. He would let me kind of just sort of shadow him a little bit. And it was great. And I was, you know, kind of getting my own thing going too. I think for a lot of young session players, and this was, uh, again, sort of mid nineties as Nashville's always been a huge, uh, area for songwriters, you know, you sort of, uh, look to get on some demo sessions and you know these pay little to nothing but you're happy to do them and it's it's beat sitting at home so i did a lot of that kind of stuff and just odds odds and ends and it just builds from there hopefully i don't you know i can't assume that for everybody but for me that's what happened was just the more i was here and kind of built it little by little brick by brick the, the building uh came into shape there and um so that's kind of how it all started it also helped too that I got that gig with Ricky Skaggs, um, kind of in '95, and that gave that sort of boosted a certain profile. Not so much in Nashville, but a little bit, um, and it it certainly turned some ears of some producers in town. And I, I look at that as you know, again, it kind of raised my profile a bit. I remember seeing you f- play for the first time. Uh, was at a summer NAM show with Ricky. So it must have been at, at 95 that you're talking about, and it was Dana Bourgeois who oh, yeah. pulled me over to, I think it was the Wild Horse Saloon, and he said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I'm oh, okay, you know, sure, uh-huh. And, of course, I was speechless, and it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful show. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, the trick is, uh, like with the Skaggs thing and, and with the relationship with Dana, there's always, you know, it's hard to talk about anything I've done as a session player. It's always sort of this kind of two sides of the coin where, you know, as a Nashville session player, I'm not doing that kind of playing primarily like I was doing with Skag, which is that out front sort of bluegrass, fast lead kind of stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's it, my life has always been ultimately about kind of balancing both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, how do you, it seems to me like some people either will become really known as a session player or a road player. And it seems like you've done a little bit of both. How, at what point in your career did you decide to really kind of balance that and go one way or another? Yeah, it's tricky. You know, that was part of me being kind of defiant. And um, the riders in the sky have this, have this phrase. It's not the, uh, it's not the easy way, but it's the cowboy way. (laughs) And I kind of adopted a bit of that for me where it's not, you know, it, it may have been easier or more, maybe consistent and predictable to do one or the other. But I really thought, you know, like, I know it's a tricky balance, but I want to still shoot for it. And it didn't feel like so much of a gamble per se, but it felt like I've got to, I really want to figure this out because again, through the Skaggs connection, that really kind of introduced me into this world of some of those people that I mentioned before, like Jerry Douglas and Mark O'Connor and Sam Bush and Bela Fleck. Tim O'Brien. And then again, what I recognized about those guys back to my high school days was like, okay, Jerry Douglas is playing on the new Randy Travis record, but I also see him at Merle Fest 
And I want to do that. I want to know that I can play or get hired at a festival for whatever, go play with somebody, but also go play on a Randy Travis record and or whatever country thing. So I've always seen it as, again, tricky and elusive, but I know it can be done. And then again, just of my study of session players and seeing guys, again, I mentioned Lee Sklar and Nathan East and some of these people that I would see on the record. I would see them on the show. Um, and like it, I knew it can be done. Part of what that you're battling is, at least in that era, and this stems back before me to, you know, days of maybe 1970s, 80s, and through the 90s, where there was just so much work going on in Nashville that you sort of had to do one or the other. You didn't have time to do road work and session work. And maybe as a result, there was a little bit of a stigma um, as far as, you know, if, if you could choose to stay home and just do sessions, you would. If you were good enough to do, lots of sessions, you would definitely do that. Right. And maybe, you know, the road player was a guy that didn't, you know, just didn't want to spend the time to try to perfect the studio chops as it were. But, you know, a lot of that stuff, thankfully in my version of this career, a lot of those things have kind of fallen away, thankfully, you know, so there's a little less that I, I, I battled a little bit of that. Meaning when I said like the two sides of the coin, there were, there, there have been times where I just didn't tell people, yeah, I'm going to go do like a two week tour with Bela Fleck and I'll see you when I get back. I just, I wouldn't even broadcast that a lot because I just didn't want it to get out there that like I wasn't available all the time. Um, so a, a little bit of trickiness, but again, bottom line, back to the original statement, it was something that I knew that I wanted to do for me. I didn't want to totally undo the bluegrass playing again, which is such an opportunity to be around mm -hmm. those guys, but also such an opportunity to go sit in the headphone mix with, with Matt Rawlings and, and Glenn Wharf and Eddie Bears. There's nothing like it. Sometimes when I talk to uh, Nashville session players, uh, a topic that comes up a lot is the hang and mm -hmm. how important it is. It's not just your musical ability, which of course has got to be a fundamental for any session player to have you know superb time and intonation and everything else. But how are you as a hang? I don't mean how are you, Brian, but yeah. the question being, if you're going to do session work, the, the hang factor, your willingness to um, deliver the music that's necessary for the song and for the artist, and how easy are you to work with? Can you talk a little bit about that and what yeah. you've seen? I think as far as the, the hang on the musical front, you know, everybody, you know, other, other session players you have talked to have probably said, you know, you check your ego at the door. Uh, it's a service industry, as Tom Bukovac likes to remind us all the time. Uh, and if that's true. You know, it's like the tricky balance of the sort of musical hang in a session is like, I'm going to be very confident in what I feel is right for this moment. And but you're you as the producer, as the artist, you know, have the final say. And again, kind of back to that early high school version of me that just enjoyed playing lots of different styles of music. I've always played and I've always enjoyed playing with lots of different kinds of people. I've also had a little mantra for myself that I wanted, I will be willing to work with anybody. I don't want to work for anybody. Uh, so with that working with people kind of attitude, uh, it is really about collaboration. So I'm going to bring you my A game all the time, meaning I'm going to own this and I'm going to feel confident about if it's a solo, if it's a rhythm part, whatever it is. 
But again, part of the, the, the gig of a session player is to, if somebody says, you know, I like that, but I want to, I sort of hear it this way, or I feel like the song is really taking it this way, or I want to hear less notes or more notes. Um, you know, Brent Rowan always had the great statement. You, you are to a producer, you're right till five o'clock. <laughs> and, uh, so that, that balance of, again, I, I want to be the strongest musician I can and, and kind of own this stuff and, and feel myself involved into this music and make it feel more important. But I'm giving, giving that to somebody. Um, They're essentially paying me to be there. And so the more I can collaborate and kind of find this middle ground, that's when it really feels like, okay, this is, this is a good musical hang because we have created something as a result of all of our heads coming together that is better than it would have been if it, that hadn't happened. So that to me, that's kind of a good musical hang. Um, along with even if you get more into the, the nuance of it, of how, and I, and again, back to the, I love hanging with different drummers and bass players to sort of feel different grooves. Again, growing up a bluegrass guitar player, one of the hardest things for me to do as a session player has, has been to learn to really kind of get behind the mm. pocket <laughs> and settle in. And, but I've loved it. I've loved being able to play um, with all the various drummers that I've been able to play with to kind of study swing and to, stu and to study eighth notes and sixteenths and, and kind of give into it and kind of get out of my own way. And I've used that little bit of, of nuance to sort of find, again, just I'm always learning about that kind of stuff. I love that. As far as the, you know, the personal hang, that's the thing about sessions is that you're, you're kind of in this room uh, sometimes for days at a time, certainly hours at a time, you're eating lunch together or dinner together. Um, and there's this sort of camaraderie thing that comes into play. I'm not the most sociable, you know, extroverted kind of guy. I'm generally kind of quiet. Um, I've tried to feel like maybe my playing did a lot of my talking for me over the years. Um, you know, I feel like there are some folks that, you know, we want this person on the record because they just bring a good vibe just with who they are. And I think I do bring that. I'm a kind guy. I'm, I'm willing and, and all this kind of stuff, but I'm not generally, you know, I'm not the vibe meister all the time, but you're going to get some good parts out of me. Um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes some jokes, sometimes, you know, uh, but that, that has grown over time just as, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to immediately reveal myself. Probably I'm, I'm again, quiet and reserved. And as I've been around people more and more over the years, it's, it's turned into, uh, uh, you know, on the, the, the sort of personal social hang side of things, real, real calm and, 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 uh, mm -hmm. comfortable. All right. I want to wrap up with this one question and, and, uh, and I know obviously over the years, since you came to Nashville, kind of the sessions, the, sh the scene of sessions, I'm going to quit trying to say that tongue twister, I guess, <laughs> yeah. has changed quite a bit. And a lot of people are doing more recording at home, more remote stuff. So do you feel nowadays, if you want to be a successful session musician, do you have to live in a big city? That's a great question. Um, technically, no. But one of the things that continues, thankfully, to define Nashville in the 21st century in comparison to sort of the rivals over the last 30 to 40, 50 years, like New York and LA or Austin, uh, is the fact that we still on a regular basis gather up in a room as a rhythm section or an orchestra and make tracks happen, you know, 
drummer, live bass player, you know, it still happens in a room here. Um, that's unique still, thankfully, about Nashville as far as all the home rigs and things like that. It is, a, for me, has been kind of a supplement and, and an added benefit to be able to do that, certainly right now in, in Corona times. It's uh, that amount of work for me has kind of ramped up. I've always had a rig back from the early days of ADATs. You know, again, when I mentioned doing all those gospel sessions all over the world, part of uh, for the, the known world of the Southeast at the time, part of, of me transitioning out of that movement in Nashville was to build a little what was affordable at that time, you know, the ADAT and the preamps and stuff like that. And people would send me ADAT tapes through the mail and I would send them back. So I recognized it even back then as a way to kind of stay connected to a certain amount of recording work. And I think for a lot of people, that's continues to be the case. I mean, it's, it's real work and you can do it in your house. You don't have to be in the studio. Uh, I think people recognize sort of what you lose out of that. You know, you, you get the part done, but back to Andy's question about the hang, the musical kind of vibes or me really kind of seeing and feeling something evolve with the tune from the, from the demo to the, to the last take of it, you know, uh, organically as, musicians sitting around listening to each other you lose some of that um so i guess it's somewhere in between you know if, if nashville as a quote-unquote big city offers a way for a lot of people to live and do this kind of work and gather up on a regular basis um then i think that thankfully continues to be a necessary thing but um you know this this time too is curious because none of us have really done that many sessions to, to no sessions over the last six weeks or so um, and it's kind of weird to not have that. But again, I've been fairly busy. I've, I've recorded at home maybe as much or more as I would have done mm -hmm. otherwise. So it's possible. <laughs> possible. I think we're this this experience here is allowing us maybe to, to realize a little more of that. But I do feel like at the end of the day, it's going to be so great to be back in studios yeah. with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, music is a social event, even making it. And, and... Yeah. All right. Well, thank you yep. so much, Brian, for joining us again. Um, he'll be back again later this week where we're going to talk about his uh, his tips for developing uh, bluegrass chops. So uh, for Andy Ellis and Premier Guitar, we'll see you guys later this week. Adios. Mm -hmm.